And it said, and here Jesus said, uh, verse 15. Well, we'll go ahead and read on it. We'll, we'll, we'll pick up right here with the top of what Jesus says in verse right. 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, here's what you have to understand because some people will say, Well, that's only for the 12 disciples. But by now, Jesus had lots and lots and lots of disciples. This is, this is right here after, this is right before he was resurrected. Uh, I mean, before he ascended into heaven, he had already been resurrected from the cross. Um, here, this is right before he ascended into heaven. And uh, there were multitudes of people that followed him. Uh, you know, and this is, you know, because this is during the time that he walked the earth for 40 days after he was raised from the dead. And so he's speaking to anyone who is his follower. He tells all of us to go into the world and preach the gospel, which is the good news to every creature um, or every creation of God. And how much do you know we're a creature or a creation of God? All of humanity is. Um, but I like, to tell, I like to tell people to do it this way. Just go ahead and preach to your cat, your dog, your bird. Go ahead and preach to the animals outside and just practice. It's good practice. Just practice. It's yes. just good practice. Dad Hagen used to preach to the cabbage heads, and he get so he get tired what? of he he'd get out in the garden and he'd preach when he was a little boy. He'd get out in the garden and he'd preach to the cabbage heads. He said until he got tired of looking at their faces because they never changed expression. Huh. And then he'd get what, over what's and he so different about that, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then he'd get over and he preached to the green beans a while. And then when the green beans weren't responding, he'd get up in the hayloft and preach up in the hayloft. So what is you just got to practice? Just practice preaching the good news, no matter where you go. All right, verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now, that word baptized, a lot of people will say, well, that means you've got to be baptized with water to be saved. No, that's not what he's talking about. The word baptized means to completely saturate by immersion. And so when you receive Jesus Christ into your heart, you're baptized into the living water of Christ. You're submerged in the living water of Jesus Christ. Water baptism, we did a teaching on that several months ago. Water baptism is an outward display of what has already occurred on the inside. It's a public declaration that you are going to begin to work and make an effort to make what's occurred on the inside to show up on the outside. So when he says, he that believes and is baptized, you know, uh, James, over in the book of James, James recorded that he said, he, he was talking in that letter, and he said, oh, you believe, in, you believe in Jesus, good for you, so do the demons, so do the devils. He said, and they've got enough sense to actually tremble at the voice of God. Amen. They've got enough sense. So it's one thing to be, to have a mental believing it's an entirely different thing to have a heart believing. Amen. And so what Jesus was saying is if you'll believe in your heart and be baptized in the living water of God, then you shall be saved. Uh, yes, the yes. Sal baptism of salvation. Some people will say, have you been baptized into salvation? And that means have you received Jesus Christ into your heart? That's what that means. All right. And these Absolutely. signs, and these signs shall follow them. No, no, wait, 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 wait. What? But you, you forgot the but he. Oh, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Well, I mean, do, do you really need to go into that? I'm just saying we <laughs> got to read it. We can't leave it out. You can't leave it out. Come on. All right. So, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Well, if you if you if you don't believe in Jesus and, in you, your heart. and you don't b become saved, then you're you're. You're going to be separated from God for all eternity. That's right. It's just the way it is. Right. It's not that Jesus wants us that way. It's not yeah. that the, that God wants us that way. In fact, His will is that we all be saved. That's right. But if we don't if we don't accept Him as our Lord and Savior, our Lord and Savior, not yeah. just our Savior, then yeah. we're going to be separated. That's right. The wheat will be separated from the chaff. Now who's going into it? Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> you asked for it. All right. And these signs shall follow them that believe. Now, underline that belief. Underline that belief. That's real important. 
just because you are born again, just because you're baptized in the living water of Christ, just because you have that knowing on the inside that you're heaven bound, does not mean that these signs are going to follow you. You have to believe for these signs to follow you. Because if it just automatically happens that uh, these signs follow people, then ain't nobody saved because ain't nobody operating in these things hardly. But no, we know that we're saved, so what do we have to do in order to operate in them? We have to believe. We have to believe. What does it mean to believe? It means you have to trust concretely. You have to say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Amen. Glory to God. All right, and these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing... It shall not hurt them. doesn't say when they drink any deadly thing. It says if. If. <laughs> it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Okay. So, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but he says, in my name they shall cast out devils. Uh, Jesus put us on this earth to deal with the devil. That Adam and Eve were put on the earth. Remember, God told Adam and Eve to subdue the garden and to have dominion. In other words, God said there's something that might come along that you're going to have to exercise authority over. So there's things in this life that we have to exercise authority over. What is that? That's the works of Satan. Adam and Eve failed to do it, and we've been failing to do it ever since, Amen. largely because we didn't know we had that authority. True. But... He says you've got to cast, you, you're going to have to cast out devils. That word cast out means you have to evict them, to evict them from their living abode. Uh, and again, I don't want to spend a lot of time here. We're not talking about this tonight. Uh, but there are actual demons in the earth, and we have to evict them from the places that they're operating. And it says uh, that you shall speak with the believers shall speak with new tongues. When you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, there's a spiritual prayer language that God gives you that allows you to speak to God and God alone, and only God understands it. Your spirit understands it, but your head won't get it. And uh, we'll talk about that another time, but that's a promise. And there's benefits to praying in the Holy Ghost. Uh, it, the Holy Spirit will help you to pray when you don't know how to pray. Um, that's one of the benefits. When you're running low on your spiritual energy, when you're, run, when you're feeling run down, burned out, can't go anymore, praying in the Holy Ghost will build you back up, stir you back up, get you back going. That's what, uh, how, well, how are you going to get your future to play out? Well, you've got to spend time in prayer. Well if, you don't know what your pray, well, if you don't know what your future looks like, how can you effectively pray for your future? You can't, but your spirit can that's the benefit of praying in other tongues. We'll talk about that another time. Um, but notice it says, uh, they shall take up serpents. This does not mean, we're, 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 we're here in the Appalachians where it's a real pot, used to be more popular than it is. But you can still end up in some churches where they've got these boxes up here on the front row. And then when the spirit get, when they think the spirit gets to moving, they get real excited, and they go to them boxes, and they pull out serpents, and they say, well, the Bible says that we can take up serpents, and that's how you'll know that you're in the Holy Ghost. No, that's how you'll know that you're dumb. That's how you'll know that you're dumb. And uh, see, no, that's not what it's talking about. See, taking up serpents or drinking deadly things, that... That is testing the Lord your God. Yes. That is mocking the Lord your God. That's right. And even, as Robbie said earlier, even the devils know better than to mock the Lord. That's right. What it means is, remember, what did he tell us right here at the beginning? What was the first thing that Jesus said? Jesus said, go into all the world. So while you're traveling, should something harmful like a snake come in your way, should you have to eat? Listen. My brother-in-law went to Thailand some years ago on vacation, many, many years ago. And he sent us some, and he, and he uh, took pictures, and he came back with pictures. This is before the whole phone thing and all that. And he took pictures, and one of these pictures, he pulled it out in front of me, and I said, oh, Lord in heaven, what is that? He said, it's one of the buffets in one of the restaurants. 
It was a big buffet table over there. Where was he? In Tibet or somewhere? Where was he? Thailand? He was in Thailand. About. He was over there in Thailand, <laughs> and he was in this big to-do restaurant, and he one of these one of these buffet bars, it had trays of grubs and trays of roaches and trays of this insect and trays of that insect, and some of them were roasted and some of them were raw and some of them were still wiggling. I said, Lord in heaven. Yeah, it's an insect bar. He said, that's not, a delicacy not, over there. Not going to happen. I'll I go said, on a diet oh, no. first. But how much you know, <laughs> if Jesus called you to go to that land and you're sitting down with these people and they bring you a plate of their finest insects, uh, you can't, you can't, you can't turn your nose up to it because you'll dishonor them and you, you're worried, you, you won't be able to preach Christ to them. So in that situation, if you eat any deadly thing, if you eat any deadly thing, that's when you go, oh, Jesus, thank you, nothing I eat will harm me. Oh, I cry. Ugh. Okay, Jesus, I survived. That's what this verse is about. I, actually, I think that's exactly what it's about. That's exactly what this. he was sending this, them into all the world. He was sending them into <laughs> all the world. He was sending them into places. Listen. You get over there in some of these lands, you're going to be asked to eat some weird things. That's what it's about. <laughs> he said, don't worry about what you eat. Don't worry about if they, feed, if, they, if they hand you some monkey brains. It's going to be okay. You can eat it. It's okay. <sighs> he said, they shall lay hands. He said, don't worry about it. I got you. Jesus said, I got you. No matter where you go, I got you. He said, for you're going to lay hands on the sick and they what? They shall recover. Shall recover. They shall recover. Jesus, thank you for not sending me anywhere up to date. And I thank you that if you do, that I'll be able to tolerate the food well. I have learned not to tell the Lord no. I have learned to tell, not to tell the Lord no because everything I've said, Lord, don't send me to that place. That's the very place he'll send me. So I've learned, Lord, wherever you send me, I'll be happy and satisfied. So, uh, you know, Jesus told us to go on into all the world and preach. And lay hands on the sick. And you know, this is no different than what they did in the Old Testament. This is no different than what they did in the Old Testament. Uh, except for it was the prophets that people came to. The prophet they came to the prophets, they came to they came to the men and women of God. Today people should be coming to the men and women of God to get healing. To get healing. But so often they come to the men and women of God and we go, oh yeah, God will heal you if it's his will. If he wants to. If you catch him on the right day at the right time in a good mood. No. No. Jesus never said that. Jesus said every time somebody came to him to be healed, he healed them. Every single time. So let's go to uh, 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 4. That was just a little pre-sermon. Glory to God. 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to pick up right here in verse 1. We could pick up in verse 8, but I, verse 1 through 7 is just too good to pass up. All right. So let's just read. Uh, let's just pick up right here in 2 Kings chapter 4. And uh, there's actually three healings that take place in this chapter. So we're going to look at them all. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take him unto him my two sons to the bond, be bondmen. Now this is interesting. This woman, she's the wife of the sons of the prophets. Remember in the prior chapters, the sons of the prophets were the ones that every time... Um, Elijah went from Elijah and Elisha went from town to town. They said the sons of the prophets were the ones that said to Elisha, "Don't you know that your master's getting ready to leave?" And every single time Elisha had to say, "Hold your tongue, don't talk to me, I don't want to hear it." And then the sons of the prophets, they were the ones that were standing there when Elijah uh, smote the river with his with his um, mantle, with his cloak. And the river divided, and they walked across on dry land. And then Elijah was taken up, and Elisha grabbed the mantle and did the same thing. So this woman, now she's the sons, she's the wife of the prophet, of the sons of the prophets. 
That means, now the prophets, they should know God. They should be connected to God. They should be able to speak on God's behalf. One would think. One would think. But this woman said, I'm not going to these prophets. Why? Because Elisha proved that God was with him. Not everybody that claims to be with God is with God. Or I should say it this way. Not everybody that claims that God is with them not every not, not doesn't mean that God's with them. Elisha actually proved out that God was with them. There were miracles that followed Elisha. There were miracles. Now, doesn't that just sound very similar to what we just read? Now, think about this. He said, you'll know that you're my disciples because you'll cast out demons. You'll speak with new tongues. Uh, you'll be able to take up serpents. No deadly thing will be able to, will affect you. You'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Doesn't that sound like signs, wonders, and miracles? Yes. Was it not signs, wonders, and miracles that Elisha proved himself? See, God from the Old many people say, well, the God in the Old Testament and the God in the New Testament are two different gods as far as how they responded, but no. How did they know that the people belong, how did they know the prophets of God and the, and the kings of God in the Old Testament? Signs, wonders, and miracles followed them. Signs, wonders, and miracles followed him. And so signs, wonders, and miracles followed Elisha and this wife of the prophets whose, son, whose husband died. And now she's got two kids who are fixing to go into slavery. Listen, in the Old Testament, you paid your debts. In biblical times, you paid your debts. Because if you did not pay your debts, your children or yourself went into slavery to, pay, to work off your debt. It was called debtor's prison, and you worked off your debts. And so here, her husband died. They had debts, and she said, the debtors are coming, and they're going to take my sons. Now, she's a widow. She doesn't have men in the house. That's going to affect her livelihood. So she's in dire straits. So she doesn't mess around with the prophets that aren't proven. She goes to the prophet that's proven. She goes to the man of God that's proven. And, and, and then she, and she pled her case. She said, uh, you know my husband. You know he served the Lord. You know he loved the Lord. Now, I've got this problem, prophet. <laughs> All right, let's All keep right, going. Verse 2. And Elisha said unto her, what shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in, in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Most Christians want God to do everything for them, and they don't want to do a thing for God. Most Christians want to sit on their couch and eat their bonbons and just want God to pour the blessings down on top of them. But the prophet said, no, no, what do you have to offer God? What do you have that you're willing to, to, that you're willing to hand over for God's use? What is in your care that God can take and God can bless and that God can do something with? And she's poor. She's poor. They're fixing to come get her sons. And she said, I ain't got nothing but some oil, Lord. She said, I ain't got nothing but some oil. Then he said, go borrow, three, or go borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. <laughs> He said, don't just get one or two. He said, get them all. Go, away, go around to your neighbors and get every empty vessel, every single one of them. You know, and so what did the sons have to do? What did she and the sons have to do? They had to go knocking on every door and say, excuse me, do you have any empty containers? Any at all? Well, I kind of got this one over here, but it's not in the great. I don't care. I'll take it. I don't care. I'll take it. What did they have to do? They had to act. She had to act on faith. They had to do a faith action. All right. Verse four. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons and shalt pour into all those vessels and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. So here she is. She's got this vessel of oil. It's a little vessel of oil. They've got these vats, That's these containers, 
and they're bringing them to her. And she takes this, and she's like, oh, I don't know why, but... And she pours, 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 and she pours. That vessel fills up. So then she grabs the next vessel, and she does the next vessel, and the next vessel, and the next vessel, and the next vessel. She does all of these not few vessels, many, many, many vessels. And then she looks at the thing. She says, man, this thing's still full. Get me another one. Get me another one. And they said, we don't have any more. And look at what it says. And, uh, and it says... Um, there was not another vessel, and the oil stayed. In other words, every time she poured out of that oil vessel, it refilled itself. The oil never ran out. But notice she had to, she, they, they did a faith act. They went out and got the vessels, but then after they did what God told them to do, they went into the secret place. They went before the Father and said, okay, Father, we did our part now. Now what? And the prophet, when well, the prophet said, you know, they, she went back to the prophet said, oh, I did that. And the prophet said, okay, now start filling the vessels, but make sure you do it in secret. So she's doing it in secret. Why? Because it's not about her. It's about the goodness of God. Amen. All right. Verse 7. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. So God, because she recognized the man of God and because she positioned herself under the assigned prophet to her, she recognized who the true prophet was and she seated herself under him and she followed his directions and she did an act of faith and she kept private things private. God blessed her and her sons. He supernaturally paid off her debt. And gave her provision for life. Gave her provision for life. I guarantee you they never had a day of sickness, death, or disease in their home. Never. Why? Because they got seated where God told them to get seated and did what God told them to do. They did. She was obedient. Amen. She up, and here's the deal. In the Old Testament, we don't see the word faith. What we see in the Old Testament is that they did or they obeyed. Yes. Or they responded as the Lord told them. All of those terms means they operated in faith. All right. So I just, like I said, that was just too good not to share. But now we're going to switch to a different woman now. All right. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman. And she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. So here this woman, this Shunammite woman, uh, she, she's, it says that she's a great woman. It means that she could be of older age. It could mean that she's of some status in the city. It could mean uh, that she's got some finances. Uh, or a little bit of all three of them. We don't know. It just says that she's a great woman. And notice it says that she constrained Elisha. In other words, she, she grabbed a hold of Elisha every time he came near. She basically attached herself to him every time he came to town. And she said, here, let me take care of you. And then she looked at her, and her husband was probably thinking, what are you doing? And she said, look at what she said. She said, I perceive, I perceive that this is a man of God. Where does she say that? Let's see. Verse 9 in the middle. Verse 9 in the middle. He said, behold now, I perceive that this, a holy man of God, that is continually passing by. She told her husband, she said, that man knows God, and we need to attach ourselves to that man. We need to attach ourselves to that man. Amen. So she attached herself to that man. So, but, but man, she doesn't just attach herself. Look at what she does. Verse 10. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed, and a table, and a stool, and a candlestick. And it shall be, when he cometh to us, that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned 
into the chamber and lay there. Okay. So what it says, let us, let us, uh, let us uh, make a place for him on the wall. Uh, Shunem, just like so many of the cities in this time and air, was, uh, was um, surrounded by a wall. A walled city. It was a walled city. And many of these cities were actually double walled. There was an exterior wall and then several feet or uh, whatever distance in, there would be a secondary wall. And uh, the reason for that is it gave them a two, it gave them extra barriers against people that would try to take them over. And so in this in-between space of these two walls, they would build houses or homes or little rooms or buildings. And so this woman said, let us make a little chamber. In other words, let us get him a little space in the wall um, where when he comes in, he has a private place to get before the Lord. What was she doing? She was making provision for the man of God. They, yeah, an Airbnb, so to speak, in their day. And they were providing it. They were providing him not just with the room, but the bed, the candlestick, the necessities of the room, so that when he was traveling, he had somewhere to stay. But it wasn't, we're going to find out in just a minute, it wasn't just him, but it was him and his traveling companion or his armor bearer. Let's keep going. All right, verse 12. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said, and he said unto him, Let, say now unto her, behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldst thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among mine own people. He said, you want me to go for the king? Like, like he's asking her, why are you doing this? What do you want from me? Do you want me to go to the king for you? Because here's the deal. A lot of people aren't going to do for the prophet unless the prophet's going to do something for them. And he wanted to know, what are your motives? You've done good. You've taken care of me. What are your motives? What can I do for you? And she said, no, I'm among my own people. I don't need, to, I don't need you to go to the king on my behalf. I don't need you to go to the captain of the guard on my behalf. I'm, I'm good. I just want to take care of you. And he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. <laughs> and the woman conceived and bare a son, at that season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. Now I want you to notice, she did not ask for the child. She didn't ask for the child. Gehazi went back and said, she doesn't want anything. So the man of God said to his servant, by your observation, what can we do for her? And them understanding and knowing the importance of children, especially in their day, and understanding that her husband was older, and obviously probably, she was probably older too. That's probably had something to do with it saying she was a great, a, a great woman. Um, uh, he said, well, now here's the deal. Gehazi, or Gehazi he, 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 he traveled with Elisha. So he knew that Elisha, there wasn't nothing that Elisha couldn't do. Why? Because God was with him. In other words, he knew there was nothing God wouldn't do for Elisha. So he said, well, he said, I'm going to tell you, she doesn't have, her husband is old, and she doesn't have any kids. So I think it would be good if you could uh, get her, if, if uh, she'd have a kid. In other words, God allowed this woman to be healed of infertility on Gehazi's faith. You can get healed on somebody else's faith, especially the young believers, especially young believers. We have prayed for many people and gotten them healed on our own faith. And God has healed them. Mike's dad was one of them. We got him healed of lung cancer on our faith. 
We said, God can heal you. God can take care of it. We showed it in the scriptures. We showed them we can lay hands on you. We can pray for you. And you will recover. What were we doing? We were getting him healed on our faith. And God healed him. Did he not? Yes. God healed him. He had no cancer in his body whatsoever. But some time came down the road, and he got stressed. And he went back to smoking, and he went back to eating sugar. He was diagnosed diabetic. He went back to living, uh, doing things that would cause sickness in his body. And the cancer came back, and we said, Now, Dad, you know that God has already healed you once. He can heal you again. But you're going to have to apply your faith. And uh, he looked at us, and he said, You know... He said, honestly, he said, I don't have the faith to get healed, and I don't want to do the work to get healed. He said, essentially, he said, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to live my life, and I'm going to go home, essentially. And within a very short period of time, the cancer came back and moved from his lungs to his liver, and in a very short period of time, he went out of here. But just like Gehazi got this woman healed, well, at least the prophet said, call her here. And the prophet said, in the time, according to the time of life, in other words, in nine months, you're bringing forth a baby. This didn't, this didn't waste any time. And, uh, and she said, oh, Lord. She said, prophet, don't lie to me. How much do you know? You can hear from God. You can hear God, and God will speak to your heart, and God will say, you're healed. And how much do you know? You'll look at the situation in your body and go, no, God, don't lie to me. No, God, don't lie to me. So often people lose their healing because they look at their symptoms instead of looking at what the Lord said. Amen. But she was not, her doubt and unbelief couldn't get in her way because the healing wasn't coming by her faith. The healing was coming by Gehazi's faith and Elisha's faith. So he said, no, he said, you're going to bring forth a child. Let's keep going. All right. Verse 18. And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out unto his fa- or to out to his father, to the reapers. Do we read seventeen? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so I missed that we read seventeen. So she did conceive. She did have a son. The son, the husband's out there working. The son's out there working. They're reaping the fields. So this boy's probably, um, you know, eight, nine, ten. Who knows how old he is? Because he's out there reaping the fields. And he said unto his father, My head, my head. And he said, And he said to a lad, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. Okay, pause right here. Now, first she tells her husband, I perceive this is a man of God. Then the man of God calls her to his door and says, you're going to have a child. And she goes, uh, I know you're the man of God, but don't lie to me. How much you? She was a little slow to get her faith working. She knew he was a man of God, but she was a little slow. But how much do you know? She carried that baby in her womb for nine months. And the whole time she got to thinking, God spoke and it came to pass. Amen. The prophet spoke. And it came to pass. How many of you know Jesus is the prophet? The prophet spoke, and it came to pass. The prophet spoke, and it came to pass. She's raising her son. Every time she sits him down for a meal, look at that, God. Your prophet spoke, and it came to pass. So now she's she's been meditating on the goodness of God for years. Listen, this is very important. Even if you don't currently need healing in your body, you need to meditate on the goodness of God. You need to meditate on the healing power of God because you're going to face a situation where you need that healing power and you need it now. And how much you know? Her son is dead. Her son is dead. Look at what it says. It says, and the, and um, it says, He said, take the lad to his mother. He took the lad to the mother. And uh, verse 20, and when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, uh, he sat on her her knees till noon 
And then he did what? He died. He died. In fact, we can take the tent, the, the then out because it's italicized. It says, sat on your knees till noon and died. Dead. No life whatsoever. No life whatsoever. Now, if you have a small child sitting in your lap and he has no life whatsoever, uh, is your first thought, I think I'm going to go lay him on the bed? That is not your first thought. But look at what she does. <laughs> look at what she does. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut up the door upon him and went out. So she carried him out of her house through the city into this little chamber in the wall, took him inside Elisha's room, laid him on the bed, and closed the door. And just went, and, and, and I mean, talk about faith. Talk about faith. Oh, we're going to see some more faith here in a minute. Let's keep going. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. Now, she's, she's using alarming language. Uh, bring, me, bring me somebody in a donkey so that I may run to the man of God. So she went with urgency. But she says something incredible to her husband. Keep going. Oh, okay. And, in, and he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is, it is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. Okay. Actually, that sh it shall be well, uh, it shall be, is all italicized. And she just said, she said, well, well, well. In other words, I'm not going to speak. Listen, you cannot speak doubt and unbelief, and you cannot, in the presence of sickness and disease, and you cannot speak something to somebody that's going to alarm them and cause them to speak doubt and unbelief. He, he knew, why is my wife running to run to the man of God? He, she said, I'm running. This is an alarming term. And he said, okay, now wait a minute. This is not the new moon, so this is not the time of, of um, congregation. This is not Sabbath. This is not time of congregation. This is not when we go uh, and, and worship with the man of God. This is not normal. Why are you go? Why are you running? And she said, well... In other words, I'm not, what did she do? She closed her mouth. Amen. And she just looked at him and she just said, well, or it's, in a manner that said it's going to be all right, is really what she said. It's going to be all right. She's speaking words of faith. Then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. She, she said, says, I don't care how hard you go, just go. Just go, just go, just go, go get him, go. So she went and came to, unto the man of God to Mount uh, Carmel. And it came to pass, when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her. And saying to her, because he's going, hey, it's not new moon and it's not Sabbath. Why is she? Why is this Why is woman, she coming here that quickly? Yeah, she's coming with urgency. In other words, he knew something was up. But check out what he says to her. What he says to Gazi. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. It is well. It's well. That's their terminology. It's well. He, he wanted to know, what's the problem? What's the problem? Is the problem with you? Is the problem with the husband? Is the problem with the child? What's the problem? And she said, well. And again, the it is is italicized. So she answered, well. And when she came to the man of God, to the hill, she caught him by, by the feet. But Gehazi came near to thrust her away. And the man of God said, let her alone. For her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. Check this out. God did not tell the prophet that the woman was in urgent need. God did not. And look at what he said. He said, the Lord hath hid from me what her situation is. This is a common problem in the churches today. 
Somebody will get sick in the congregation. They may even land in the hospital, and they'll never even call the pastor. And they'll get offended, and they'll leave the church because the pastor didn't call me when I was in the hospital. They think that ministers have the 911 with God, and that God says, hey, uh, brother so-and-so, he's in the hospital, you need to go right now. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. She had to go get him. She had to act on her own faith. She had to call for someone. This is why it tells us over there in... um, I believe it's John, tells us to go, uh, no, it's James, tells us that if there be any sick among you, call for the elders of the church, call for the pastors. Why? Because God doesn't always tell the pastor what the problem is. He doesn't always tell us. Sometimes he will, but not all the time. This woman is not a baby Christian. This woman has experience with this prophet. This woman has experienced the blessings and the power of God that flows through this man. This woman has received miraculous healing from infertility. And now God expects her to stand on her own two feet of faith. And so he says, so when the son died, God said, you know who the man of God is. You know where the provision is. What are you going to do? Well, she said, well, I know where where the man of God is. I know where the provision is. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to him. I'm going to go. And so, you know, and and here Gehazi gets in her way and is like, get off of her. No, she fell at his feet. Notice it says that she caught him by the feet. In other words, she got close to him and she threw herself on the ground and grabbed his feet. And now up to now she's going, it's fine. It's fine. It's well, it's fine, but now she's in the presence of what uh, uh, the presence of God for their covenant, and she grabs a hold of the feet. This is a type and shadow of the woman with the issue of blood holding on to the holding on to the garment of Jesus's robe. Amen. And said, "Ho ho, uh, you've got power in you, and I need it. I need it." Let's keep going. Verse twenty-eight. Then she said, "Did I not desire a son of my Lord?" Did I not say, do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, gird up thy loins and take my staff in thine hand and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not. And if any salute thee, answer him not again and lay my staff upon the face of the child. This is a type and shadow. This Elijah, Elisha, is said, Gehazi, you're my servant. Go heal the boy. That's what he said. He said, you're my servant. Go heal the boy. Go heal him. Go lay the staff upon him and go heal him. So let's, let's see what happens. And, and the mother of the child said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. And Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff upon the face of the child. But there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore, he went again to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awake. And when Elisha was come into the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. So here the servant of God. Now, this woman had some. Notice this woman didn't look to Gehazi. She didn't look to the servant of God. She looked to God. Many people failed to get healed because they looked to the man and not, the, and not God. Many people will go and say, if I can just get brother so-and-so to lay hands on me, if I can get sister so-and-so to lay hands on me, well, I heard brother so-and-so has a special anointing for my ailment. So if I can, if I, and they'll spend thousands of dollars just going to get the hair rubbed off their head by the right person, but it's not the person. It's the power of God that heals. It's the power of God. And so, now here's the deal. Gehazi obviously didn't have the faith that when he laid hands on the boy, the boy would come back to life. And so, thank God she didn't look to Gehazi. Thank God she had enough sense to say, I'm not looking to the man. I'm looking to the God. Now, now understand, Elisha is not God, but he is the representative of God in their covenant. And so, they walk in. 
And so now, we, you know, I mean, it could be a day or two at this point. We don't know how long it took her to get to him and how long it took him to get to her or anything. But here's what we know. That boy's been dead on that bed for a while now. Mm-hmm. It's been, he's been dead on that bed for a while now. Let's keep going. All right. Verse 33. He went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them, twain, and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands and he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm now so here the child is laid out he goes in the room now he he leaves out Gehazi because we know Gehazi ain't got no faith he done tried and done failed now mom she's she's probably waxing a little weak in faith now because the man of God the servant of God the servant of Elisha went and there was no change. So she's probably wavering and teetering a little bit. How much, you know, that's like Jairus when he was sitting there going, Jesus, my daughter, and here comes the woman with the issue of blood. It's the same type of situation. So now she's waxing a little, probably a little weak. So he says, no, no unbelief, no doubts coming in this room. No doubt, no unbelief's coming in this room. And uh, he gets in there, and he does mouth to mouth. He puts his mouth on that child's mouth. He's eye to eye. He's hand to hand. He's laid on this child. Now, is that how you get somebody raised from the dead? Uh, if that's what Jesus tells you to do, yeah. But if Jesus don't tell you to do it that way, don't do it that way. How many of you know Jesus went up to the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, arise and come out. And here come a Lazarus hopping out of the tomb. It's different with different people. With Jairus' daughter, he grabbed her by the hand and said, Daughter, arise. See, it's how God tells you to do it. Why did he have to do it that way? I don't know. Why did Jesus have to spit in the eyes of the blind man? I don't know. Because sometimes God will tell you to do it that way. (laughs) I mean, did you hear about Smith Wigglesworth and the baby? Did you hear about that one? The baby? Yes. He's in this massive crowd. Smith Wigglesworth is in this massive crowd. Massive crowd and he and, and he basically perceives that there's a that there's a baby that needs healing in the crowd. So this woman passes this baby up. This baby's like crowd surfing. Passes this baby up. He gets a hold of this baby and this baby is deformed. This baby is dead. And don't ask me why, what came over him, or what happened. I do know this. I know that Smith Wigglesworth, people used to ask him, why do you hit people? He said, I don't hit people. I hit the devil, and people get in the way. So all I can figure is he was kicking the devil, and the baby got in the way because he hauled off and punted that baby like a football back into the crowd. It landed in Mama's arms and was perfectly healthy and whole. Now, I don't recommend that you punt, that you kick babies like footballs. Uh, in fact, that will get you in trouble real uh-huh. quick. But, uh, you, I mean, with a lot of people, it's yeah. going to get oh, you yeah. in trouble. <laughs> but uh, if God says do it, you know, Dad Hagen, Dad Hagen was in, line, in a prayer line, and uh, he had a woman that had a, a, a huge tumor in her stomach, her stomach was very descended, descended, he said, like she was pregnant uh, from this tumor. And he's going down through the prayer line. She comes, this woman with this tumor, and clears the bell. He, has, he hears the Spirit say, punch her in the stomach. And he said, uh, he said Lord, nope, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. <laughs> he said, I'm not punching this woman. And he said, I heard real strong in the Spirit again, punch her in the, wom- in the stomach. Yep. He said, he said Lord, nope, I'm not doing that. And he went on down the line. He said, Lord, he said, that's a woman. I'm not punching no woman. He said, Lord, that's a tumor. I'm going to haul off and punch her. And ain't nothing. No, nobody. I could bust that tumor and who knows what's going to happen. He said, I ain't doing it. He went on down the line. And the Lord began to deal with him. So he come back down to her, laid hand, went to lay hands on her. And the spirit said, I told you to punch her in the stomach. So he kind of lightly tapped her. And the Lord said, that's not what I told you to do. I told you to punch her. 
So he said, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. He said, I know what the Lord told me to do. So finally, after arguing with the Lord, he finally just reached, he just reached over, just punched her in the stomach, and her stomach instantly deflated. And uh, she went to the doctor, and that tumor was completely dissolved and gone. No side effects whatsoever. Now, again, don't do this unless you know that 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 it's God. Because it'll get you in trouble. So why did, why did Elisha, so first he said, go lay your staff on him. The staff didn't. Why did he come in and lay on that child like that? I don't know, but God told him to. I don't know. Think about Smith Wigglesworth with uh, Mr. Uh, is it Butterball? Is that his name? Butterball or something like that? He's in the funeral. He's in the funeral. Uh, Mr. Butterball, I think is his name, uh, is in the casket who was one of the deacons. They've got all the deacons' chairs up here on the platform. He's in the casket. Smith gets up in the middle of the funeral, goes over to the casket, Pulls him out. Rigor Morris is set in. This man is stiff as a board. Pulls him out, carries him by his collar up to the platform, takes him to his chair, and starts pushing him and bending him and cracking him uh, into position. The women in the church in the funeral are all fainting and passing out because you can hear the bones cracking and popping. And he says, uh, Brother Butters, whatever his name is, Butterball or whatever his name is, uh, uh, he says he's got something to tell us. So he said to the, he said, brother, uh, brother Butters. He said, why don't you get up and tell the people what you have to say? And that man just sat there. He said, brother Butters. I said you got something to say to the people. Get up and testify. And all of a sudden, that man, the spirit of that man, went right back into his body. He got up and he testified. I'm telling you what. But it better be God. Right. Let's keep going. God have to come, come down and tell me to my face. I'm uh, telling you. I'm telling you. I heard somebody say this oh about boy. Smith Wigglesworth today. They said that Smith said this. He said, I'm more afraid of God than I am of people. So whatever God tells me to do, I'm going to do it. He had so much reverential fear of God. He said, he said, God tells me to do it. He said, I don't care what any man thinks. I'm going to do what God tells me to do. And look at how God used him. All right. Verse 35. Then he returned and walked in the house and to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. Why did he have to sneeze seven times? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But it's important. I don't know. But uh, notice that he, that he walked back and forth. What was he doing? He was waiting on God. He's listening to the Holy Spirit. He's waiting on God. Listen, sometimes we need to be slow when we're, working on, when we're dealing with somebody that's sick or dead. We need, to be, we need to be sensitive to the Spirit. Glory to God. Oh, goodness. And that boy sneezed seven times and came back to life. All right, verse 36. And he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her. And when she was coming to the, un, into him, he said, Take up thy son. And she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. And Elijah came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land. And the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said unto his servant, Set on the great pot and seethe pottage for the sons of the prophets. Glory to God. And one went out into the field to gather herbs, and found a wild vine, and gathered there of wild gourds his lap full, and came and shred them into the pot of pottage, for they knew them not. So they poured out for the men to eat, and it came to pass, as they were eating out of the pottage, that they cried out and said, O thou men of God, there is death in the pot, and they could not eat thereof. Okay, so in verse 38, it says that there was a dearth in the land. That means that there was a great famine and a great hunger. And there was such a great famine in the land that they were going out and they were getting whatever plants they could get, and they were cooking them down, and they were eating what the plant, the, basically this soup or this porridge that these plants would make. But these plants were poisonous, and it was killing them. 
It was killing them. That's what was happening. So Elijah comes along, and look at what happens here. All right, verse 41. But he said, then bring meal. And he cast it into the pot, and he said, pour out for the people that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. And there came a man from Balau, or Balau Shal, Shalisha, and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley, and full ears of corn in the husk thereof. And he said, Give unto the people that they may eat. And this and, and his servitor said, What should I set this before a hundred men? And he said again, Give the people that they may eat, for thus saith the Lord, they shall eat and shall leave thereof. So he said it before them, and they did eat, and left thereof according to the word of the Lord. So first he says, bring me some meal. Now, wait a minute. There's a famine in the land. Where are you going to get some meal? Obviously, somebody had some stashed, and he knew it. Huh? That's right. Somebody had some meal, and he said, bring me some meal. So they, they scrapped and scrounged, and who knows? They pulled, maybe they pulled a little bit of meal out of everybody's jar to get enough little bit of meal and he put the meal in the pot, probably wasn't enough to make enough stew for anybody. But just like at the beginning of the chapter, God multiplied it and fed all of the people. Why? Because they gave what they had. The Shudamites gave what they had, and God sustained them. Then, not only did God sustain them through that meal, but it allowed God to bring somebody that actually had loaves of bread brought 10 loaves of bread, and they were like, well, what are we going to do with... They just, they just saw the meal multiplied. And they go, well, what are we supposed to do with the 10 loaves? Doesn't this sound an awful lot like Jesus when he feeds the, 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 the 5,000 and the 12,000? You know, he, he feeds the one group, and then the next group comes along, and they're all like, oh, what are we going to do? And Jesus is like, uh, boys, we've already done this once. This isn't hard. This isn't hard. But notice that they had to offer something to God first. Healing always requires a faith step. Healing, prosperity, the provision of God. Many, many people think, well, God just, I, I believe in Jesus, so God's going to pour the blessings on me. I can sit on my couch and the blessings are just going to fall. No, you've got to do something of faith to get God to move. Uh, well, well, does that make God a quid, quid pro quo God? In other words, I have to do something to get something. No, but faith is an action. When you're in faith, you'll do something in response. So if you need healing, say you need healing for your legs uh, because your legs have weakness, well, then by faith, move your legs. If you need healing for uh, pain to go, uh, begin to get up and do things that are painful and begin to speak and declare, I have no pain in Jesus' name. If you have, um, you know, some people have one leg that's shorter than the other. The Lord told one of our ladies, he said, because she loved to cook, the Lord said, when you're in your kitchen, stand on your, on your long leg and let your short leg just dangle and begin to say, I'm the healed of the Lord. And he said, as you do that, I will begin to strengthen, to lengthen that leg, to lengthen that leg. Uh, when Michael cut his foot with the chainsaw, uh, it was real interesting because uh, he was actually had two of our youth that were there with him and, and the youth's dad, and uh, they were all panicking and freaking out. And Michael said, no, listen to me. He stayed very calm, very collected. He had lots of training in that area, but he also had the power of God. And he said, here's the deal. He said, I can't put any pressure on my foot. Just pick me up and put me in the car. So they picked him up. They put him in the car. The guy drove like crazy. He said, uh, brother, I want to arrive alive. Slow down. So he gets to the hospital. They, he said, I want two things. I want my wife and I want my pastor. And uh, so they're, try, they're calling and calling and calling. Get, they finally get me at work. The, the message that I get is your husband has been he cut his foot with a chainsaw. He's at the hospital. I have visions of toes and plastic bags. That's what I have a vision of. 
oh, this is not okay. I get, I come rushing into the ER, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, my husband, he's the one with the chainsaw injury. They said, oh, calm down, he's fine. I said, what? He said, they said, honestly, he's in better shape than the guy that brought him in. In fact, you probably need to check on him first. Which, if you understood who this man was, nothing ever rattled this man. Nothing ever rattled this man. I said, the man that brought him was rattled. They said, that he looked pretty green. We thought he was the one with the chainsaw injury. I went, are you sure? They said, yes, ma'am. I went, wow, that's impressive. Uh, but when I, got, when I went back in the room, Michael said, we're going to pray, and it's going to be okay. Why? Because we had been building our faith he was very much so like this shoot woman he said it's well i walked in the room in a panic he said honey it's going to be fine and it was fine it was fine you know and why was he able to do that he was able to do that because we knew who our god was is we know who our god is we know our god is the healer glory to god well we're going to end right here tonight it's a good place to end uh, maybe next week we'll finish off Kings. We'll see. But here's what you need to understand. You can get people healed on your faith. You can receive healing on your own by just simply trusting the Lord, staying on what he says. And another key point to getting those healings is get under your pastor who God has saved you to, or a plan, I'm sorry, not saved you to, who you're, get under the pastor that God has assigned you to and stay planted even when you're like, they're getting on my nerves, they're meddling, they're correcting all my issues in life. I don't like that right now. Or why do Just, they keep preaching on the same right. thing? Why week have they preached the same sermon for six weeks? Why have they preached the same sermon for 11 weeks? Was it 11 weeks, y'all? 11 weeks on unity. I don't know. It was a lot. I was like, somebody, please get this. I'm tired of so, preaching so it. So I, I, was, I was reading a book about uh, Martin Luther. Uh, it's just a little book about his, uh, about his history and stuff. And, it's just and, a little biography yeah, is what it is. He was, he was a monk that, uh, that, that started the whole uh, Protestant, Protestant movement. movement, right? But, but he, he, was, he, he, he was also a teacher. So yeah. what, he, he taught it at a, basically, it, I don't think they would have called it a Christian college back then, but he, that's what a he was seminary teaching. Seminary or school. But he was teaching, and he basically he was a German man, and he was translating from Latin the the Bible into German. And as he would go, he would teach on that. He t- and it said in there that, and it was telling me the different books that, that that how long he was preaching on them and stuff. Do you know he pre- he preached on Galatians for six months? And we're pre- we're preaching on Galatians on Wednesday nights, y'all. Uh, I don't think we're going to take six months, but... No, uh, that's one month per book. But, uh, <laughs> well, it was... A, or one month per chapter. It was one month per chapter. It was one month per chapter. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we didn't do no, that no, with Revelation. No room, compl- no room for complaints there. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, glory to God. Well, let's do our tithes and offerings. If you have a tithe and offering, Zach, if you'll come tonight, uh, we'll do, you know, uh, we'll sow a seed into the kingdom. It's always good to sow a seed. You know, your tithes uh, give you tithers rights, and your seeds give you increase. And uh, so we like to always give you an opportunity to sow. I don't ever like to come to a service without sowing. I learned that a long time ago. I used to sow uh, pennies, dimes, and nickels, and now we're sowing 20s and 50s and 100s faithfully. And, uh, well, Father, we just give you the glory. I look forward to the day that we sow the thousands faithfully. Praise God. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. You want to bless the tithe and the offering? All right. Well, Lord, we thank you for this word that we've received today. We thank you that it grows and bears fruit in our lives and in the lives of those we come in contact with. Lord, we know that, that your word says that we should give into your kingdom so that your work can be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So we give with a grateful heart and a joyous heart because you gave so much more to us first. You gave your son, and you, and you made a way for us to not be separated from you. And, Lord, we just can't top that. We can, there's no way that we can top that. So we give with a joyous heart, and, and we give gratefully, because we know that your word says that you will bless us and that you will make us an even greater blessing into your kingdom. Lord, we ask that you bless this offering, that it go further than we could ever ask, hope, or think towards the doing of your work and your will here on this earth. And 
Lord, we just thank you for your many blessings. We thank you that because we are tithers, we, are, we have tithers' rights, and we can rebuke the devil. Satan, we rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You cannot come to steal, kill, and destroy. You will not take our things. You will not cause our things to wear out quickly. You will not take our health. You will not take the health of our, our, our pets or our livestock. You will, not, you will not be able to harm us in any way because we are tithers and we are faithful. Thank you, Father. Amen and amen. Father, we thank you that your word is true and your word is working. Amen and amen. Thank you, Father, for the seed sowed and the increase that comes. You can serve the people. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Well, Wednesday night, we're going to continue our study on Galatians. Uh, we've made it. We've only been on it for three weeks, and we've made it through chapter two, so I don't think we're going to take six months. Yay. Glory <laughs> to God. We just did a real long study on Revelation, so I'll I like to kind of move along. If there's that much good in it, we'll go six Oh, there is, there is that much good in it. <laughs> Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Well, we are dismissed. Yes, Miss Cheryl, what you need, honey? Yes, ma'am. Oh, well, Lord, come on. Come on, Billy. Let's get up here and let's handle that. Come on. No, right. well, you don't need to put up with either one. You don't need to put up with either one of them. 